You're listening to The Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwall, United States Marine Corps, retired standing guard on the Wall of Freedom. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Patriot Cause, and I'm telling you, you do not ever ever want to turn off the button on your phone for this podcast i have one of my bestest friends bestest bestest i mean what else can i say he he is an an awesome patriot what's what's even more is he is a child of the living god And Christ is in his heart, and he's doing everything he can. And this world, like the rest of us, uh, are working towards that eternal goal. And Mr. Kurt O'Keefe is the legislative liaison for Convention of States. But that is just like a, a, a minor or small part of what this man does in his life. When he was growing up, he wanted to be, like many of us, the president of the United States. And then as he went through life, he was honing these skills, going into politics, trying to to become that goal to try to get to that point. But it shifted. His life shifted from understanding that you know what, this is not where God's leading me. This is not where I feel comfortable going into politics. So now in his 60s, it's no longer about Kurt. What it's about is service to others. It's about service to our country. It's about doing things that is necessary to not only get the word out about what true life is about, and the, the true meaning of being a human being on this planet, much, even much more, an American citizen. And he works very hard to do that. He is a lawyer in this world, and he does tremendous jobs working with his clients to help them to get the justice and the righteousness of their heart towards solving their problems. And that is a strong, very strong way that people can give back to the community, give back to the public. And and Kurt is doing that. And I thank you so much, Kurt, for being on the podcast. Welcome. I am so glad to have you here. Well, I, I wouldn't even dream of living up to that marvelous introduction. And- <laughs> somewhat overwhelmed by the cascade of praise. One of my mottos is to the conceited man, all noise is praise. So when people swear at me, I just say, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. about, about perception, how we perceive things. You uh, know me from different levels and yes. I am what people would call a character. Uh, our friend Carol calls me a scamp. <laughs> I'm going to tell you more about me that will make the old me, make the new who I am now look normal compared to how I started. Gotcha. So in both the seven children, my father was interested in politics. In 1961, Congressman Rabo died. He is actually the congressman who achieved getting the words under God into the Pledge of Allegiance which in 1961 did did not seem like a big deal, but it is now. My father, a stockbroker with six children, 
talked himself into thinking that a Republican could win a special election for Congress. At this point, we've lost this 14th district. Michigan is down to 13. The 14th congressional district, of course, lines change, populations move, has not had a Republican since 1946. My father was overly optimistic in that. But part of my goal in politics is to get back to an America where a man sees an opportunity and takes it. It's crazy. Now you can't do that. You need probably $100,000. In 1961, he said, I'm going to run in the Republican primary in the special election because Republicans turn out more heavily in special elections. And he was a stockbroker accountant background. So he's looking at results and data, and it's true. And he thought he had a chance. He was ahead of his time. He brought five minutes of TV time in 1961. I remember when I was seven, I mean, I was get five minutes on the new. Come on, kids, watch that on the new, just before. That was the new. huge. Five minutes was huge back then. In 1961, people weren't doing oh, yeah. politics. I know. But That's what I'm saying. Five minutes was huge for politics in 61. Ahead of his time. But he could decide to do that and not have a committee and not have a lawyer and not have to file any reports. I don't think he raised any money. He brought green O'Keefe bumper stickers that were very small on white, green Irish. Had the TV time that he bought, was ahead of his time. This is how things were, but I have to go, I'm gonna go look up more of the results and newspaper coverage. So Donald O'Keefe running against no Lois Nair. Donald O'Keefe, 1305 Buckingham, Gross Point Park. Wow. Took <laughs> 17047 on the front page of the paper. You could call the person up. You didn't have layers of people in between. Send them a letter. The political class has deliberately made it extremely difficult to enter politics. Mm -hmm. Whatever you think of Trump, one of the problems he had in Governor Snyder here in Michigan is they, they came in from outside. You just don't belong here. We have these yep. rules, the incumbent protection acts. At this point, I want to go back to that America where a citizen could take up a challenge like that without having Amen. a raise of money. And I knew from my father that he ran for precinct delegate in 1964. He ran for city council and lost again. I remember. I'm following this. This is now I'm 10 when he's a precinct delegate. I'm following why he's going because Governor Romney wants to get the precinct delegates to get rid of the chair in the district. And I remember him sitting at the kitchen table having looked up the city council results about how he could get in. There was some kind of, we had, I think, two parks and no pools. And of course, the city council said we need to build two great big indoor pools. They're going to make a big jump. That fired him up. Now he has seven children, he's still, he's just John Q. Public. And at that time he could do that. About age 12, for whatever reasons that I'll have to go back to therapy for, I didn't decide that I <laughs> wanted to be president. I didn't decide that I'll, I'll run for president when I grow up. I decided that I would be president. Oh, wow. Hold my younger sister, or older of the two sisters, that I was never going to get married so she could be the first lady. <laughs> In terms of honing, from that time on, I evaluated almost every interpersonal action I had with how would this play out when I was running for office. The 160 in my eighth grade graduating class, I made an index card for each one of them with their name and address so that I could follow up on it. That's kind of way out there. You need to talk to the psychiatrist about that, even today. <laughs> that is the obsession. So when I say the exactly. obsession, <laughs> this is deep. That People go, what? December 2, 1971, I turn 18. Now I'm waiting. I have to be 22 to run for office and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a precinct delegate because my, I know how to do it, I know what it is. They, voting age is 18 on January 1 of 72. I'm ecstatic. The presidential primary is May 16th. I'm going for it. At 18. I, at 18. At 18. Wow. With I was this, still chasing women. <laughs> I couldn't do that because it was my that back then that would be scandals. Now you know I didn't know how it would turn out. I was uh <laughs> when I was 14, I was 45, and then when I was uh 29, I was 
14. I didn't progress on a proper crime. I also was heavier than I am now. At, at uh, 18, I had a mustache and I was uh, six foot tall and I weighed 200 pounds, 200, actually 210, 15 pounds. I, I was a man child. I was, I was fully grown really at 13. I didn't know it. I kept eating. I'm out for it. This is what raw ambition is. And I understand it when I see it in older people, which is where it most commonly occurs. My school schedule is I have somehow honors English early, 7.30 in the morning, fourth year Latin, second year French, and I'm done. I'm working part-time in a hardware store. And then literally- I don't even know how you remember all this stuff. It's coming back to me because it's 50 years on May 16th. Oh, wow. Anniversary. So these memories are coming back up. I, but I wish I had, I had a one page handout. I, I don't know what I put on. What kind of a resume do you have when you haven't graduated high school yet? I probably had oh, a wow. crew. All the, I filled up a page. My dad went and made like yep. 800 copies. There's 1100 registered voters in the precinct. I dressed up in a red, white, and blue seersucker suit. I had a tie on and I hit probably 600 houses. Yep. And I bet yeah. you didn't, I bet you didn't put in, take the trash out in your house on your resume, I, did you? I would have if I ever did it, probably. <laughs> this is, this is, and I'm going around, I'm 18. I'm like, this is step one to be president. I'm excited. I'm four years ahead of schedule. They changed the voting age. Whoa. Nixon's running. I've got two opponents. The machine, same machine my dad ran against in this district, this blue district went to someone and said, we don't have anybody running. And at that time, you needed 15 signatures on a petition. And they said to Mr. Jones, well, what do you, okay, how do I do it? We'll do it for you. So he thought he was running unopposed. The former city councilman who didn't like the machine guy was running and he'd been a precinct delegate. He was city councilman. So he looks like the favorite against an 18 year old and the guy who doesn't know basically pretty much where to vote. So I worked and worked and worked and worked and the election was Tuesday and on the weekend, the city councilman puts out a flyer, every house it says reelect Smith. And my dad says, well, it's illegal to say reelect because he's not the incumbent. Uh, like, well, you can't go to court Monday when the election's Tuesday and I'm depressed, but I've hit, six, I don't know, six, 700 doorbells every weekend. My 11 year old sister wanted to help. She carried the flyers for me. So you rang can't, the you can't do the like the reelect because your dad. No, he's. I didn't do it. My opponent said reelect. His name's Smith. Oh, gotcha. He puts out a flyer that says reelect Smith. He's not the incumbent. Oh, gotcha. So it's false. It's a, it's it's a lie. Illegal. He's. It's a it's lie. And it's, it's a illegal. lie. I'm like he's smashing. I'm thinking it's good. People are coming. I went in the garage and took an odd piece of plywood. We lived on a corner that had a lot of traffic. I'm mm -hmm. not a handy guy. I, I never picked up a hammer on my own before or a paintbrush. <laughs> I painted Kurt A. O'Keefe is A-OK. -okay. It's about a four foot by two and a half foot sign. I've got a ladder and hammered it on the tree right on the corner. And it's probably 600 cars a day went by that corner. Wow. So I'm all excited. I'm at the polls. This is how weird I was. There was senior skip day every year at the school. You know what I did? In there, yep, I did that too. <laughs> I worked eight hours at the hardware job. That was how rebellious I was. I was the straightest kid in the school. Like my, my uh, siblings would say, I can't be like Kurt. He's the straightest kid there. So I go to the elect. I stand out all day. Went home for an hour. Went home. So my mom drove me back. We're going to look at the voting machines. First machine is City Councilman twelve, O'Keefe eight, other guy whatever. And I go, oh, I'll probably lose. I won the other three and my mom is like, now be nice, be nice. I'm elated. I'm like, I'm on the way. Yeah. White House, here I come. <laughs> I flipped the sign around on the tree and I wrote, Kurt A. O'Keefe says thanks. <laughs> went to every Michigan State Convention from 72 to 76. Went to the Republican National Convention in 72. I couldn't sleep in 68. I'm in eighth grade. I stayed up until nine in the morning when they called Missouri for Nixon. I thought it was the end of the world of Humphrey wins. Communism will take over. Fired up. Four more years, young voters for the president. Nixon liked young voters because 18 had just been the voting age. 
for nationally, Kentucky and Indiana at 18 and 19. So everybody said, oh, they're all gonna vote for McGovern. And so we were prominently displayed, uh, moved around in the arena so they could, my family saw me on TV. We were at, during the day, John Ehrlichman came to talk to us, Gerald Ford, we were just pampered. I'm telling people this, wow. like, what? You're a bunch, of, a bunch of 18 to 20. I go, hey, I was fun for me. Then I met U of M, uh, University of Michigan Ann Arbor, as Father Sirico of the Acton Institute describes it, 14 square miles surrounded by reality. But the difference is, this is not a hobby for you. Hobby? It, an obsession. That's what I'm saying. This is, yeah, exactly. It's an obsession. It's, it's, it's I, I got to get in there. I said, I, I decided I would be, I went, I drove every month from Ann Arbor to Detroit for the meetings. I went to the state conventions. I was doing everything I could do. I, I hid even then. I didn't tell people I'm working. So did, did you even have an idea of, you know, going to those conventions and talking to those political leaders that you were a, an exceptional person that, you know, that a lot of us, you, you thought that that's where I was supposed to be. Yes. But so much of it, I look back and go, what was I thinking? I, people said, well, what if this happened? I said, it never occurred to me. It never occurred to you. How did it feel to pass the bar exam? I go, I decided I was going to be a lawyer when I was like 12 or 13. It never occurred to me that I wouldn't pass a bar. And I look back and go, well, that's part of youth. And, and I don't, I don't, at this point in my life, everything that happened may be who I may, am today. The question for Kurt when he gets up and sees a face in the mirror is, Am I satisfied with who that man is trying to be today? And would I do everything the same? Of course not, only an idiot. So 74, they don't like me in the machine because of my dad, I think. They go to someone and go, hey, Joe, we don't have anybody here. You want to be precinct delegate? What do I have to do? We'll do it for you. We'll fill out the petition with the 15 signatures. The only ways to run for office, bud, are all out or unopposed. So... Tell the audience where where you're you know where you're at. What are you talking about? You're you're in Michigan, right? I'm in Michigan. I'm in a suburb of Detroit. And, and this is where you grew up too, right? Yeah. The precinct delegate is the basic unit. It's a it's an elected office, but it's a party office. There's right. Republican precinct delegates and Democrat. They're called different names in different states. Okay. The process is precinct delegates select delegates to the state convention. And they vote for the delegates to the national convention. Gotcha. They elect party people. They elect a chair and vice chair, depending on where you are. And in Michigan, we're weird. They nominate. This year, we're nominate, we nominate by the conventions. Precinct delegate elects state delegates who then nominate attorney general, secretary of state, lieutenant governor, two Supreme Court justice positions, and uh, two trustees each regents for Michigan, Michigan State, and Wayne right. State. So you're you're absolutely in this whole quagmire of this political world quagmire and how is, everything works. Quagmire is, I thought I'm 18, I'm going to be a national delegate. I go to the caucus. Yeah. I said, I'm 18. I'm going to make a motion to have an 18 year old and I'll be the only one. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what was going on. I left, this is, I, I remember I'm leaving the, there's eight people there. I'm the yeah. oldest. I said, Alia Yakta Est. It's <laughs> Latin for the die is cast, which is what Julius Caesar said when he crossed the exactly. Rubicon. Exactly. When he crossed the Rubicon, I remember that. That's how weird I was. So 74, this guy, he doesn't do anything. He thinks he's unopposed. I come back, I hit maybe 400 doorbells. And the election results were O'Keefe, 110 opponent 20 because i don't they don't take anything for granted in 76 so much for the rubicon right <laughs> still, well that was that the delegate i'll come back to national delegate the the guy who ran the show picked them four years in advance gotcha it's not decided the night of the caucus i learned that so 76 now the michigan primary will have one of my favorite political trivia questions it's in it's in may and they're Precinct delegates are pledged to a candidate. So I'm a Reagan guy. You know who was president in 76? Gerald Ford from Michigan. Yeah. That's signing your death warrant in the Republican Party. <laughs> I'm running, I'm running committed to Reagan. So it's precinct delegate, O'Keefe Reagan. And the only thing on the ballot is a presidential primary. 
and it says uh, Brown, Mr. Brown Ford. And I remember the bicentennial year I lost by 76 votes. I ran like 150 out of Reagan because I had the sign and I had been around and I'd been hitting the doorbells. So I went to Mr. Brown after and I said, how is it that you're a Ford supporter? You know, congratulations. He said, I'm a Reagan man. I said, we understand that on the ballot, it said Brown Ford. He said, well, I don't know. These, these people came and said there's no precinct delegate and they'd fill out the papers. So they knew I was for Reagan. Who puts the energy into purging a precinct delegate? There's hundreds of them in a congressional district. So I didn't like that. I went to Kansas City, Michiganders for Reagan. It's a different world then, bud. When you go to the National Convention, everyone from the state is in the same hotel. No joke. So we were in the hotel with the president. I was not a registered guest. I'm cheap. I drove. You're talking about Gerald Ford, right? Gerald Ford's president in Kansas City in 1976. It's the last convention that nobody knew who was going to win in advance. It was that close. The Reagan team made a mistake. They, they said Ford has promised the vice presidency to like Ford people. Ford's people, not Jerry personally. They're bringing uncommitted delegates to dinners at the White House. Nobody knows. The numbers are it's within 100 either way. We don't know who's going to win. The Rules Committee meets the week before the convention. Each convention makes its own rules. I have the Reagan-Schweiker button, one of the favorite trivia questions. The 72 trivia question is, who won the Democrat primary in Michigan in mm. 72? Nixon's unopposed. And the answer is, with 52% of the vote, George Wallace won the Michigan Democrat primary. Oh. In 1976. Well, wait, let's, let's back up a minute. Is this the same George Wallace? Yeah, Alabama, governor? independent party, wow. Michigan. I, I didn't even know that. I had no clue. I love, I love that question. So they're going bananas because the, the UAW didn't let them take over the actual people. Oh. But in Michigan was good. They let the Reagan people be Reagan delegates. And I lost for, I ran the race for Reagan delegate, but now I knew the game. I knew it was fixed. There were some people that I identified with. I was a conservative political views, substantively the same as the guy that ran the, that dictated, but I wouldn't kiss butt. So they wanted to get rid of me forever before they knew who I was. But now that Kurt knows the game, he sits in the front when they're voting for the Reagan delegate. And it was two for Ford, one for Reagan. And they uh. said, Howard Schmednick, he was promised this four years ago. So it's, and Howard, nobody saw Howard anywhere in the campaign. I was making talks in high schools and doing whatever. So nobody in the Reagan camp knew who he was and I knew he was gonna win, but I wanted to expose what they were doing. So with my red, white, and blue seersucker suit, I now had a big red gangster hat and I sat in the front row and they're reading nominations for a Reagan delegate, Joe Brown, and he's looking at it. Are there any other nominations? And I started flipping my hat in the air. No, no Two way. Two feet high, right in front of his face. Three feet high, as I wave my hand, four feet high. So everybody's watching my hat. I get it up to the, well, he's saying, are there any other, not? and he's afraid to look up at me, bud. He wouldn't look up. Uh, hearing none, well, everybody knew I wanted to make a nomination. But the point then is you learn as you go, act, learn, adjust. Absolutely. All they want to do is expose to people who didn't know what's going on. That's what happened. Yep. So, get, so to Kansas, get to Kansas City. Reagan says, we're going to pick a vice president. We're picking Schweiker, the senator from Pennsylvania, oh, two weeks ahead. And we want the rules committee to pass a rule that a presidential not candidate nominated at the convention must pick the vice president on Monday because you vote for president Wednesday. The strategy of the Reagan people is, if the rules committee passes the rule, Ford has to pick one of these four or five people, and then those delegates will spin off and will win. Oh, gotcha. Every convention until then, the delegates were free to vote their conscience. The Ford camp was smart, and they wanted a rule that you were bound by the primary or caucus or however you were selected because they knew Jerry, God bless him, U of M, Michigan, but he was a lifetime Congress member. He came in because Agnew was 
convicted of felonies. Spir in Spiro Agnew. He went out and there was a new amendment because when Kennedy was assassinated and Johnson was president, there was no vice president. So yep. the constitutional amendment said that the president could name a VP replacement who had to be confirmed by the Senate. So they picked Gerald Ford. And uh, then when, when Nixon resigned, Ford's president, and then uh, you can think about who Ford picked for vice president yep. to get and the And the thing about it is, see, I'm younger than you by everybody is a few years very but annoying i still remember those time frames i didn't like you were get kind of get involved in this po political world i wasn't kind of involved <laughs> no that's what i'm saying i was just this redneck cajun living in louisiana just you were normal you know, i could care less about politics you know and then but but we had this you know 13 inch black and white tv that eventually ended up as a 19 inch color TV, which was awesome. And then Gerald Ford was, you know, the president or going to be president and all that. And I'm going, and my dad was going, that guy sucks. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't have any clue. So well, I'm getting we, we got to take a break. And when we get back, we'll continue. We get back, bud, let me do the teaser. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'll get back and bring you right back on and, and, and in, start I'm off. Going, I'm going the weeds on 1976 because it repeated 40 years later. <laughs> okay. So yep. There's the teaser. You're going to hear the inside story of both those conventions. Right. So don't go away, Patriots. This is, <laughs> I love this man. I love what he's bringing to us. He's, you know, nostalgia, whatever word you want to use, he's bringing back to us what America was, what it actually meant back to that, you know, whether, uh, you know, we had left, right, Democrat, whatever, but we all knew both of those parties believed in America, believed in taking care of us. And that's not how it is today. So Kurt, don't go away. And we will be right back. In Dublin's fair city, where the girls are so pretty, I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone, as she wheeled her wheelbarrow through streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels alive, alive. So were her father and mother before And they both wheeled their barrows Through streets broad and narrow Crying cockles and mussels Alive, alive, oh Alive, alive, oh Alive, alive, oh Crying cockles and mussels Alive, alive, oh She died of a fever And no one could save her And that was the end of sweet Molly Malone And her ghost wheels her barrow Through streets Broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, crying cockles and mussels, alive. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny. Got a great, great friend of mine, fellow Convention of States. Uh, patriot, but what's more important is a patriot of America. His name is Kurt O'Keefe. 
Thank you so much for coming back, Kurt. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, it's 1976 <laughs> convention. Who's going to be nominated by the Republican Party? Ronald Reagan, who kept his 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of thy fellow Republican, while running against an incumbent Republican. He never said anything bad about Ford. Uh, he is, is he running for president at that time? In 1976, yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. I didn't know. Yes. This is famous stuff. For I, I'm a living history now. I, I feel like yep. I'm 100 years older than most people. But, but as you said, the obsession <laughs> was there. When I was nine years old, nice, beautiful summer day. What was I doing? I'm watching a you black. You were nine? Nine. Black and white TV. I'm watching. Not, the not 19. Nine. Okay. Just got to make sure. <laughs> I'm watching. No, wait a minute. I was 10. I'm born in December, so I had the math is hard. Okay. I was 10 years old. Beautiful summer day. I'm watching a, a black and white TV, the credentials committee of the Democrat National Convention. They used to have gavel to gavel coverage. There's only three networks. What I was watching was the fight in Mississippi because the Democrats in Mississippi were all white and they sent an all white delegation. What a surprise. And the blacks said, we're the Democrat party of Mississippi. And they went through the whole process and they sent a slate of black delegates. This would never happen now. They would quash it all. Now it's an organized TV show, not then. And I might, when I, my dad came home, I said, I don't know what's going on. What's this thing? And that's when I learned about Mississippi. More, more evidence of, of a, just a kid who was a little bit off the charts, pretty far off. 1976. So here we go. Reagan says, we want to make Ford pick a vice president, then we'll win. Manafort? Yes, Trump's Manafort mm. is advising the Ford campaign. He says, we need to bind these delegates because in their hearts, they love Reagan. They've been following Reagan. He's governor of California. He's elected in 66. He beats Pat Brown who beat Nixon in 62. Nixon lost to Kennedy by 100,000 votes in 1960. Then he ran for governor of California. He lost and he came out and said, you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. In 66, Reagan, actor, Death Valley days, he honed his speaking for Boris GE. He did a little business meetings, 20. That's, he did that for years, a great communicator. He gets two terms governor of California in 68, back when they had favorite sons they don't have anymore that where the governor of California would come and all he'd have all the delegates so he could negotiate and make deals with where before there were primaries there was only five how many primaries did Hubert Humphrey win in 1968 no idea none none <laughs> none zero. none zero Johnson <laughs> resigned on March 31 it was too late yep. to enter the yep. primaries ah yes this was so different then so I mean, all the, the Vietnam War, all that stuff's going on. So the whole focus of the country is not really on this political stuff. And the political world oh, no, is oh, no. shifting, so, right? No, the focus was on the political stuff. It's just that there were now, well, now we've turned our, we're the only country in the world where the political party doesn't name the candidates. We throw it open. Michigan has open primaries. So in 72, all the Republicans could go over and vote for George Wallace in the Democrat primary. No joke. In 2016, the Democrats could come over and vote for uh, Trump because they sure. thought Hillary would beat her. You have no control over your candidate. But in 68, it was different. I can run through the 68 primaries if you want, but, but Kennedy was killed and McGovern came in for Kennedy. They said, we need somebody to hold his delegates. Johnson was afraid of Robert Kennedy running against him forever. And that's what happened. And it was a surprise. Nobody thought Johnson was going to resign. He resigned on March 3rd. He did not lose in New Hampshire primary. It was close. Eugene McCarthy was the dove guy and the war. The war, it was all about the war. It was not separate. But Humphrey was the machine guy because the machine, because Richard Daly controlled all the Illinois delegation and all of that, he won. It wasn't even, it wasn't particularly close. Okay, 68, 76. We've got more primaries, but we've got New York, we've got a bunch of states where the states picket the precinct delegates through the state delegates, the caucuses. So we don't know who they're committed to. And Manafort says, we don't trust these people. We need a rule that binds them. And then uh, 
actually Clark Reed of Mississippi told Reagan he was for him and flip and Ford won narrowly for president. He then said to, I just found this out in, 20, in 2016, people writing books about 76. Jared Ford wanted Reagan to come down and speak to the convention before Ford's acceptance speech, because you want to get unity. You've got a convention that's almost 50-50 and the hearts are with Reagan and Ford won. And wisely, the people wanted to do that. So his man said to Reagan's man, let Ron know Jerry wants him to come down and speak. And Reagan's man was drunk over losing and he never told Reagan. Back then, the alternates could sit on the floor of the convention, delegates and alternates. I was trying to be an alternate, that's another story, just to get on the floor. Some, but you could just substitute the tag. So the Reagan people got depressed. I'm in the hotel with them, sleeping on a couch, and the president is three or four floors away. I'm just coming and going. Nobody knows who I am. I mean, this is after 9-11, it's, it's a different world. So I'm, I get in as an alternate, and I'm standing on the floor at the convention when Jerry Ford says, Ron, come down and address, and I, that speech was great. You can find it online. And it was impromptu. Ford thought he had a day to prepare. Ronald Reagan didn't know he was gonna be called on. He came down, he gave a great speech. Gerald Ford starts his acceptance speech. Everybody's standing, I happen to be on the aisle. Near the end of Ford's speech, I look and who's standing next to me? Mike Wallace, CBS News, not looking at me. We're both looking at Ford. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, I have to say something good. What can I say good? Of course, I'm still depressed because my man lost. And I said, uh, Ford's given a great speech. And Wallace didn't even turn sideways. He said, I thought Reagan's was better. And I had a Michiganders for Reagan shirt underneath. And I'm like, yes, I'm telling you, bud, walking out of that convention, Every third voice said, we nominated the wrong man. We nominated the wrong man. Because that speech was so powerful. So what's happened is I've been purged in May. I'm a Reagan guy in uh, July in Kansas City. And the personal story is I started uh, finding that if I drank alcohol, this voice here about will they vote for me for president would recede. So the obsession went away. I'm like, they don't want me. I don't want them. And I slid out of politics. My brother, Eric, a year younger, oil and water, we weren't even that close. Mm. We had the same English teacher in ninth grade, Mr. Mason, and we both liked him. And I remember my dad at the dinner table, we didn't have teachers over for dinner that often, certainly not the nuns from the Catholic school he went to for eight years. And I remember Mr. Mason is there. And my father looked at him and said, I really wanted to meet you because you're the first thing these two pointing at. Kurt and Eric ever agreed on. Now I'm, I'm 16 and Eric's 15. That's a long time to be living with somebody and never agree on anything. Wow. So I'm out, I'm just, I'm disillusioned and the obsession is gone because the alcohol is better. Eric uh, hates school, claims they gave him a diploma, although he didn't actually qualify for one. Uh, works in a shop for a year. My dad's a stockbroker, makes investments, retires when he's 20, and self-educates. He taped the windows shut because the sun coming up and down just was a distraction, so he never opened the shade. <laughs> Hyper-focus. That's, oh, that's weird. He becomes a libertarian. Now, I like, well, the Republicans did this to me and that, and the, that libertarian sounds pretty good. Now we could become close. Uh, we think alike. We're finding we think alike in 1980. Because of your connecting to libertarian values. We're collecting to, to capitalism. My dad was capitalism, freedom, individual rights, gotcha. the founders, the constitutional rights. Now I'm, I'm all about that. I'm getting, I'm getting a little away from it's about me. And he's just diving into it. And he's in the intellectual end. And I'm in the practical end because of my experience, which he knew. Of course, he noticed being in the same house. So in 1980, now remember, I went to Miami in 72 and Kansas City in 70. In 1980, the Republican convention is where? It's in Detroit. It's approximately 15 minutes from where I live. 15 minutes. 
who's being nominated? My man, Reagan. No, I'm a libertarian, meaning I've done everything in a political career has been the opposite of what would advance me. When Ford is president and I'm in Michigan, now I'm for Reagan. When Reagan's running, now I am a libertarian. So this time period from 76 till 2016, Eric has a spectacular rise. He goes from uh, something in the Libertarian Party. He meets people because- so You're talking about your brother, right? Brother has never been interested in power. And then all himself. of a sudden he's- It's not sudden. This is, this is a path where he is, writes a book on term limits. This okay. is a, a man with no college degree and I have two. And I'm wondering, what did I do wrong? I borrowed money from him to get through my life. <laughs> year of law school and i said the man retired twice already i'm a year older and i'm still in school what's wrong with this picture they told you know lawyers are supposed to make more money blah 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 but we're uh, it's great to have a uh, uh, people who see us are jealous of the relationship because we have each yeah. other's back sure we're uh, irish catholic uh, smart aleck people uh but uh, headstrong we've come he came to faith after i did we're faith-based we feel called to what we're doing now and it's a wonderful thing. So what happened is he writes a book on term limits. Do you know who wrote the introduction? His you close did? person. You did? Eric. Not me. The introduction wrote, to, to no, term limits? Eric wrote the book. Milton Friedman, his close personal friend. Oh, are you kidding me? Really? No. Milton yeah. Friedman? Yes. Well, I'd love, I would have, I would All right. love to you're gonna, that. You're going to get, I have to say, things like Mike Wallace next to me have happened my whole life. Things like falling in to these wonderful yeah. opportunities. God has taken care of me and brought me to this point. All right. I got to tell the Milton Friedman story. It's in 76, the year he, we didn't know this has happened. This is how times have changed. Yeah. It, it's a tax limitation amendment and Milton Friedman was never about Milton Friedman. And you will see the example, the quintessential example of that. I said, this is when Eric is in his study time and you had to drag him out of the house. He would come out of the house like once a week for food and he sat in a chair and read book after book and he's self-educated and he's of course super intelligent. I said, do you want to see Milton Friedman? Oh yeah. I said, he's coming in, he's for the tax limitation amendment, he's politicking for it. He's going from uh, Detroit to Ann Arbor to Lansing, you know, east, west, across the state, all these stops. Milton Friedman gets off the plane in Detroit. And the first question is, how does it feel to win the prize? And he says, what prize? Mr. Friedman, it was announced this morning that you won the Nobel Prize for Economics. Wow. You know what he said? Prizes no, are know. nice. Prizes are nice. But you know what's important? Limiting taxes. That's good for the economy. The people of Michigan have a chance. You talk about staying on mission. Oh, yeah. He's on the play. There's no cell phone or internet. He doesn't know until they ask him. What happens now is we have five times as many media he has following him because they want to get quotes on the prize one. And I saw him in, and they're asked the same question. We went to see him in Ann Arbor. How does it feel about the Nobel Prize? Prizes are nice. What's really significant is a chance to move the economy and he went right on a mission. I had a paperback copy of Capitalism Freedom. I brought it with me. I said to Eric, I'm gonna have him autograph it. And Eric goes, what are you kidding? Everybody's gonna run up there with books or something to sign, he just won the prize. And I said, I just know I'm gonna get his autograph. So I run up with the pen and the book and there's six of them going around and Milton looks and says, a man's got to sign his own book and he takes mine first. And I just knew it would happen. There's the Milton Friedman story. Later on, That's awesome. Eric, Eric gets into circles and they're close friends and Milton wrote the introduction. So let me, let me ask you a question that we're, we're talking about this because I, I, I love this. I love Milton Friedman. I've read a couple of his books. I understand the the mindset this person is. Brilliant. And Brilliant. if if our finance, if the treasury of the government would follow his lead, you know, and you you know where I'm going with that. But my yeah. question well, President, is this. President Biden said Milton Friedman's not in charge anymore. <laughs> my God, I never heard that. Oh yeah. Oh man, that's just 
All right, just okay. Let's let's back up a little bit. You just you know you just triggered me. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> you can't see you know it. Blood is on a wet. The, the blood has. Oh, I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, that's I think just, it's. I think he just. That's <laughs> one more thing in the bucket of Biden of why he needs to go away, right? Well, that's but, like saying that's like saying the law of gravity is repealed. I mean, Friedman just said inflation always and everywhere is a monetary phenomenon i'm missing part of it so how, how did we go from a country the question i was asking you is is you know through the the what you're talking about your experience in life and the adventures that that you've been able to see right and and being involved it, it is virtually gone in this yes. country it's it gone is, is because I don't pick a side. It doesn't matter whether it's Republican, independent, whatever. When hey, Bud, these people, Bud, I call it the political class. It's a, it is. It's when, I'm, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm, when these people walk around and do whatever, they determine. They pull only those people within a certain distance of whatever they're saying or whatever they're doing. They're, they care less about you being able to sign or, or bring a book or whatever, they care less about that. What they care about is this massive power that they have to control this country. And fortunately, you lived in a time frame and got involved in politics where people mean something. It's, it's a big difference. I just wanted to, you know, kind of, bring the audience into this conceptual idea of these days that Kurt's talking about are pretty much gone unless we as Americans stands up and re-energizes uh, the constitution and the people. And then we break through this wall of hypocrisy and full out communism mindset tyranny of the people. That's the only way we can do it is doing what well, exactly what Kurt did. You're you're fast forwarding, and I'm going in depth because I understand this world is gone, and it's difficult to explain. Yep. And I lived through it, and now it's ancient history, as yep. far as these days of a 15 second attention span. It was not always like this and it, this, and it doesn't have to be the way that it is. And I'm going into some of the bygone years to say how things used to be and how citizens could be more directly involved. And it's not an accident that we are where we are. So now I'm, I'm in a the fast forwarding uh, libertarian in 1980, and then Eric is doing his meteoric rise and Kurt is uh, uh, in the end of 86, uh, dramatic circumstances that we talked about before the recording and uh, realizes that he needs to have a guide in his life or he'll be killing himself with his alcohol. Habit. Yes. So yep. it's a big spiritual jump at the same time he become a father, another daughter four years later and life and being self-employed and doing everything with the kids. Don't regret any time I ever spent with the kids. Could have made more money, could have, no. but that was not Absolutely. ever my motivation. And I can Same show here. you, I can show you my financial statement to prove that I was not interested in money. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, Eric was uh, picked up speculating and stocks studying my uh, with my father and learned stuff where he's never made a nickel in politics and neither have I. I've broken even a few times when someone paid at my expenses. Thank you generously. Nobody owes me anything. So I'm home. This is where I'm heading is what you pointed out, which it used to be that way. And then my journey is occasionally Eric would say, because now we're just like twins ideologically and politically. I'm sure there's many, many things we agree on, but in our hours of discussions, we haven't found them yet because the principle that he came up with is what you talked about, which is structural reform. We've, I've been the Republican. I've been the libertarian, uh, the political parties you can't control because of the primary process you can't control who your candidates are the way that you become a democrat in the senate of the united states is you vote for their candidate for majority leader 
There's a sitting U.S. Democrat senator who spoke at the Republican convention and campaigned for the Republican nominee, and they didn't kick him out. No. So what does the party thing mean? It just means who you vote for for speaker or majority leader. There's, there wasn't a, a, a that you'd, you'd think that might be a limits test. You have to root for our team. You can't root for the other team and still be on our team. So now Eric says, oh, I don't know, 96, uh, I got a call. Would you like to be executive director of the Forbes campaign in Michigan? Sure. I can't take total credit for this, bud, but nine days after that, Forbes pulled out of the race. I'm sure there were other factors. Yeah, Not you're, you're, no, you caused that. I mean, that's I all of us too. Uh, 2006, uh, there's a petition drive at Tabor, Taxpayer Bill of Rights. We're going to limit the amount the state can take. Mm-hmm. You want to get in on that? Of course, whatever it is, he, Eric's already vetted it. I don't have to read the whole thing. It's just like what, it's limiting the spending. And I become the spokesperson because I've honed these skills when I was an egomaniac of how to relate to people, how to get attention, how to speak in order to hold their attention. They like people like funny people. What's funny? How does this work? I've worked all all that, all those 10 years when I was going to be president. And I jumped back in and I, well, compared to the other people, my skill set fits in being in front and being on things. Breaks like this happen. We have an off the record show in Michigan, half hour public TV a week in Michigan public affairs. You want to, they talk, contact our people. They go, Kurt is the face. He's the media front person. Would you like to be on the show? Of course I get to be, it's a half hour show, 15 minutes of news. I get 15 minutes or so to pump it. There's a, uh, the host, Tim Skubik, still there, wonderful man. He's in Lansing, he covers all the government. He's interested in it. He's on the radio. He's, he's all over. I mean, if the way things have died out, there's no Detroit News or Free Press person there. There's no other radio TV people. Still going strong. He was not beginning uh, back then. And uh, then you have three panelists and it was like meet the press. And my team briefed me and they were tougher than the panelists. So I go out Friday morning, tape the show, and Tim calls me a week later and he says, it, it was Easter this time of year and they did two shows that day and they ran them in the wrong order, which meant <laughs> that we would have been a week late with the news. He says, yeah. would, would you mind coming in again? I'm like, I had a free rehearsal of half an hour. This is beautiful. That's, that's good. That's a good. little, it's awesome. It never happens. It's just things that never happen to other people. Anyway. That one failed too, that's another long story. So what's happening is Eric's around where if there's something he sees me that I can plug into, he says, let me see if Kurt will do it. 2016, three in the morning, I wake up, my still as yet unborn grandchildren say, what did you do the year Trump ran against Clinton? Mm. We, uh, we looked around and it uh, looks like you had some political experience and this is something you could have done something about. And I thought Trump was the only candidate Clinton would beat and I had to do something. So, so you thought that Clinton would only be the only, the only person that could beat Trump during that no. time frame. No, 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 no. Trump is the only person Hillary could beat. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay. Yeah. Hillary Clinton could beat Trump would, at that time. Would beat Trump. Would not beat anyone else. Yeah, the I agree. One, the only one I thought yep. I was wrong with many others. And not that so Trump. was the rest of America. There, well, when Trump became, quote, the nomination for the Republican Party, the Republican Party went berserk. I will. They were you- like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I will give you some details on that that have, for some reason are not publicly known. They're six years old. That's all right. Eric says, do you want to come to the debate? Uh, sure. The primary is over in Michigan. I missed the primary. And when you say Eric, you're talking about your brother, right? Yeah, he might not want me mentioning his name as much as I have. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> He's very modest. He's not like me. So I... Uh, I said, sure, I'll come to the debate. This is at the Fox Theater in Detroit. I'm 100 feet away from Trump when he tells America that he's gifted in that area below the waist. And I'm thinking, this man 
to be president. I just, now ahead of that, uh, Justin Amash, who was, was a great congressman and decided he'd rather be a libertarian and not have any influence in politics, but he was total integrity, would never, never vote on a bill unless he had read it. He missed one vote, they were talking to him. And the way it works, if you've been there, you'd be being interviewed in your office and then the TV's on and you go 15 minutes and vote. He missed a vote. It was like he'd, he'd been in Congress five or six years and he cried, he'd never missed a vote before. Man of high integrity. And I, I slightly knew him. His candidate pulled out and Eric says, we've got 10 more tickets in the cruise allotment that he was aligned with, see if Amash will come. I only had Facebook for Justin. I Facebook message him. Uh, your guy bailed and, uh, well, I didn't mm. see, he knew. whoever is, I can't remember, his candidate had withdrawn from the race. So then he endorsed Cruz. I said, do you want your people, can you people use 12 tickets to debate? And he answers me, yes. So I ended up hooking up Amash with the Cruz campaign, even though I'd been on the Cruz campaign about 28 seconds. <laughs> His things happen. And at the I debate, know, that's the way it works. After the debate, I, they were there and I said, Senator, would you take a picture of the Congress? I should have got in between them, but I was not thinking about me for, this is the new Kurt. That's new Kurt, absolutely. America. I'm so in the you're, you're talking about this time frame. So I just want to kind of inject to, to give you my experience of during that time frame. My wife and I were huge cruise fans at the time, right? So, but Donald Trump came to Northwest Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, which is the big Walmart world, right? And I had an opportunity to go see him at this presidential election process, which I've never done before, right? So he's bounce around the U.S., and he decides to come to Bentonville, Arkansas. And I get there about two and a half, three hours before he's supposed to be there because, you know, that's what you do. And I was able to, to go in, and it was a hangar at the airport. So I got in there, and believe it or not, I was standing, and there was basically two rows of people before me, and then there was the stage. And of course, Trump's plane comes in, does the, you know, turn around and all that kind of crap. And it lands, eventually gets there. And we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. We've already been there two and a half hours, right? And then the first person to come off the plane was Sarah Huckabee. And they had, you know, secret service guys or whatever they were, you know, all that crap. They came off first. And then here comes Sarah Huckabee. Right behind her was Chris Christie during that time frame. Yep. Right. And he comes off. And then Trump comes off the plane. Of course, everybody goes nuts. So as they make their way to the stage, now, why is Sarah Huckabee even talking at the mic? It's because her, her dad was the governor of Arkansas. This is in Arkansas, obviously. And, of course, she is, you know, kind of mushing us up, getting ready for Donald Trump. And then Chris Christie gets up there and starts talking. I'm going, how, why and how in the world... Donald Trump want to bring this person that's that's just my mindset right and this is what you're talking about how how this political world works right and then when you know this budget you know overweight individual was kicked off the stage the way I look at it and Trump took over this is his first words everybody's clapping but you know woo, doing all that stuff and his first words was, you see those cameras back there? They're liars. False. They're absolutely against everything we deal with. That's his first words. 
fake media right there. Do you see them? And everybody turned around and looked at all the cameras. That's the fake media. That's the first thing he said when he hit the stage. And he was right. So that's the first episode of The Irish and Me. This is a three-part series with Kurt, great friend of mine. Continue to listen to podcasts for the next three days, and it's going to amaze you how much this person was involved in the political process. And it's very rare to find people to talk about that. But Kurt is a great friend of mine. I thank him very much. Please share the podcast far and wide. Tell everybody about the Patriot Cause. They can go to the website, thepatriotcause.com, or download the podcast on any, any podcast, virtually any podcast platform in the world. This is The Gunny Out. Stand up for the flag and let's all ring the liberty. Make a Ford and a Chevy It'll still last ten years Like the show Cause the best of the free life Is still yet to come And the good times ain't over